else excited to be in God's house this morning? Could you put your hands together and make some noise? So good to be with you this morning. I want to look right in the camera as we always do and welcome all of you joining us on the other sides of computer screens and tablets and phones, part of our online community. We're so glad that you are along for the ride. We're pumped up and excited because we're continuing on with our series, Doors, that we started a few weeks back. Now, next week, we're going to wrap up the series. We've been talking all about the door and how there's spiritual implications all throughout Scripture. Doors appear all throughout And they are a transition piece, right? We talk about how doors regulate the access from one area to another. And so the door is really powerful. We've been talking about all of the different spiritual doors that exist in our lives. And I was thinking about a door that I heard recently that you definitely want to keep on. Did you guys hear about the airline, uh, I think it was Alaska Airline, lost the door of the plane? Anybody hear about that? (laughs) It's a door you want to stay on, which I thought... You know, a couple things. One, movies have done me an incredible injustice because every time that a door flies off on the airplane in the movies, like everything gets sucked out and everyone's freaking out. This was not the case. Like they had people out there just filming it and just like they were kind of chill about the whole deal. Like I had a little bit of a fear when I go through a drive-thru and they hand me the drink that my lid's going to pop off. That's gone now because now I'm more concerned about the, the door flying off of the plane. And I mean, these people were so chill. Like, they're just sitting there watching it. And it made me think, it, I just couldn't help but think, is, could it be that in 2024, we have just gotten so traumatized with everything that we've been through in America that now we're like, you know what, that's cool. It's fine. It's, I, I only paid $68 for the ticket anyway, you know? Like, like I, I really shouldn't expect for the whole plane to get there, too, as long as I get there and I'm headed in the right direction, right? I mean, like, I feel like there are some doors in our life that need to be permanently affixed and stay shut. And today I want to talk to you about a door that you may have become so familiar with that it's become kind of background noise in your life. You got a door like this in your house, maybe something similar. Raise, raise your hand if you've got a door like this somewhere in your house. Yeah, it's an interior door, right? It's a, a real regular door that we're used to seeing all throughout our house. We've, in fact, you've probably become so accustomed to it because you see it so often that it's, it, it really doesn't even register for you. And that's what we're going to talk to you about today is an interior door, a family door, or you might even call it a generational door. And this is a door that exists that, that maybe has existed in your family for some times. And, and a generational door is, is a door that opens to you from previous generations and it allows some things in. And in some cases, they're really good things, right? They're really great things. Some, some habits, some traditions, some practices in your family that maybe you've inherited from previous generations, prayer, Bible study, going to church. Maybe these are some things that have been handed down to you from different generations and you find them active in your own family. But I believe there are some things that can get handed down that are less than awesome, that, that are actually pretty dangerous. And if if you're not careful, if you're not looking, if you're not paying attention, these can be really hurtful and really dangerous. And some generational patterns that that we need to break free from, that we need to recognize and that we need to highlight. And spotting those things and letting go of that doorknob is really important. Because if you're not careful, these things can just transfer from one generation to the next. In the Old Testament, there was a guy uh, that you're probably familiar with. His name was Abraham, the father of our faith. And we hear about, a lot about Abraham. Abraham was a pretty interesting guy. Now, he wasn't perfect, didn't get it all right. In fact, there was a, a whole lot he did really wrong, right? There's a, a lot of things that he, he messed up on. But one thing that he got pretty right was when God specifically told him to do something, 
He did it. And, and, and that's what God told him to do. You want you, I want you to pick up and I want you to go to the place that I'm telling you to go move your family. And so he did that. He, he picked up and he moved there. And the, the blessing that came from that obedience actually was, was a, a, the gift of a child that, that he and his wife had been praying for for quite some time. He, was, he and his wife were way too old to receive this child. But, but because I believe God's, God saw his obedience, his faithfulness, he blessed him with this child. His name was Isaac. And, and towards the end of his life, Abraham, before he passes away, he, he gives all of this stuff. He just gives it all, blesses his son Isaac, everything that he had. In fact, this is how it's said in Genesis 25, 5. It says that Abraham gave everything he owned to his son Isaac. Now, I think this is true economically, okay? So he, he economically gave him tents, he gave him stuff, he gave him treasures, gave him camels, gave him servants, all of that stuff. But I think there was actually some other stuff that Abraham gave that, that, that wasn't so great. Because like, by and large, most of the stuff that Isaac inherits is, is really good stuff. But some of the things that he received were a little less than amazing. So our story picks up in Genesis chapter 26. And this is what happens in the life of Isaac. It says, a severe famine now struck the land. That happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar where Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, lived. The Lord told, appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in the land, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and to your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham your father. So Isaac does what his father taught him. There was this generational thing. Listen when God tells you to do that. That's what Isaac did. And so he followed that commandment and, and, and went stayed in the land, even though his, he probably felt like what I should do is leave because this famine is dangerous. But he stayed in the land. But something interesting happens. Watch this. It says, when the men, in verse 7, when the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebecca, he said, she's my sister. How'd you like that, ladies? He, he said, she's my sister because he was afraid to say she's my wife. He thought, they'll kill me to get to her because she's so beautiful. But sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out his window and saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. Now, actually, that translation is, is pretty tame. There's other translations that say Isaac was fondling Rebekah. Like, I mean, like, whatever it is they were, I don't know, they were making out, they were having a moment, okay? And, and, and the king looks out the window and he sees this going on and he calls Isaac up and he says, hey, is she really your wife or really your sister or is she your wife? Because if she's your sister, like, I, I don't know what, like, you're, you're from real south Israel or something. Like, something's going on. Like, it's just not right. It's kind of jacked up, you know? And so Isaac tells him the truth. This is what he says. And, and, and Abimelech, the king, gets really upset about this. He says, how could you do this to us? He exclaimed. One of my people could easily have taken your wife and slept with her, and you would have made us guilty of a great sin. I always think it's pretty sad when the people who don't follow God know how the people that do follow God should react and respond to things, right? It's pretty kind of sad. Like, he's like, why did you do this? Now, when you read the story, you could think, man, what a jacked up situation. Like, what kind of a guy is Isaac that he would put his wife in this kind of compromising situation just to save his own neck? Well, the truth is stress makes us do all kinds of interesting things. Maybe you've had a moment in your life where you've been in a stressful crisis moment. A crisis pops up and, and you feel like, man, the way I responded from that was not exactly my, my best day. And, and for, for Isaac, it was a famine. Now, you could insert whatever phrase you want there that, if, that fits you. You could say, well, I was out of work or, 
or we were getting low on money, or I was at a place where I, I needed to feel like I was, I, I was good enough, or I, I was in a, a relationship issue. Whatever that situation is in your life that causes that kind of reaction, that kind of stressful reaction, this is what's happening to Isaac. Now, up until this point in his life, thing had been, things had been pretty good. Like, it was going pretty well. Things were moving in the right direction. In fact, this is the first subsequent storm that we ever see happen in his life. The first moment where something really stressful and dangerous happens to him. And, and, and for him, in that moment, it was, it, it was a pretty difficult, pressurized situation. His dad had died. He was grieving from that. Now he becomes the patriarch of the whole family. All the eyes are on him, and he's got some pressure. So people are, are looking for him to make some decisions. And you might say to yourself, well, he probably just had a bad moment, and he just panicked. And that's possible. He might, might have just made a, a, an error, but I think there's something different. In fact, I think that there's a generational connection between his father... Abraham and the son. It's actually pretty interesting how this connection goes by because if you look back in scripture, it says Isaac was facing a famine, the exact same conditions that he was facing his father Abraham faced. Right at the beginning of that passage, it said beside the famine that happened during the time of Abraham. In other words, the exact same conditions that Isaac was going through, his father Abraham was also, had also gone through. And if you go back in Scripture, you can go to Genesis chapter 12, where it recounts this story that Abraham was going through a famine, and he had to respond in a certain way. He had to decide what he was going to do in that scenario. And actually, we can read it. We can go back and find out what happened to him. So it says this in Genesis 12, verse 10. It says, at, at that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abraham to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. Now, when you study Scripture, you should know this, that any time that you read Egypt, you should recognize that, that that means sin. God called you out of Egypt. He called the Israelites. He delivered them from slavery and sin. And so anytime you see somebody going back to Egypt, returning to Egypt, reverting back to Egypt, going to Egypt in any way, it, it's just a, a, you can be confident that what they're doing is going back to a place that God didn't want them to go. So God did not want Abraham to go to Egypt, and yet that's where he goes. And, and, and while he was there, he faces a very similar situation because he's nervous about what the other men might do to his wife. And I want you to see what he told his wife. Here's his plan. He said, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you're my sister. Doesn't that sound familiar? He says, then they'll spare my life and treat me well because of your interest. So Abraham pulled the exact same trick. He pulled the you're my sister, not my wife trick. And, and, and this, this is what he does. And then later we find Isaac doing the exact same thing. Here's the thing that I want you to know. And I want you to understand this deep down in your knower. You know where that is, right? It's not here, it's not here, it's just here. I want you to know that you know. Stressful times will not change you, they reveal you. A stressful moment doesn't change anything about you. It just actually reveals who the real person is inside of you. Sometimes some things are just revealed by stress. They're just pressure released, right? They're just activated by heat. Sometimes I believe Jesus will find things in your life. He sees something inside of you that needs to be changed or fixed, and he allows you to go through certain pressures in order so those things come out and they're revealed. I always like to say it this way, whatever you are inside comes out when you're squeezed, right? And, and so this is what happens to him. Abraham and Isaac both face this similar kind of situation in their life where it's a scary thing, and I'm not saying that it isn't scary. It's super scary for them in this moment. But the way that they respond is it's actually a pattern of fear. 
Rather than trusting God when the, when the times get tough and when it gets difficult and rather the struggle happens, instead of trusting them, their instincts is, Abraham's instinct was immediately to go to Egypt. Maybe you've been there before. You, my, things get difficult, things get challenging, and my first instinct is to just return to the things that make sense, that aren't, may not even be good for you, may not be what God wants for you, but the idea is like, that, that'll be comfortable. I know if I go there. And, but the problem is, as soon as you look at things through the lens of fear, which is what Abraham did, and you make that choice to go back and revert back, is the moment that you start seeing everything from the, from the lens of fear. That, that's what happened to Abraham. He started thinking in his head, right? Like, what if they find me? My wife's beautiful, and, and then they'll want to kill me to get to her. And he was making this whole thing up in his head. You ever done that? Well, I've been there. Like, you got a, tr- a stressful scenario headed your way, and you're driving down the, the, the road, and you're going like, well, if they say this, then I'll respond with that. And you know what? Then they'll say this. I've gotten so mad and worked up over something that it's never even happened. And I, got, I get there, and they're like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, oh, Good afternoon, you know? I mean, like, sometimes we do this. We get worked up in our head. And so uh, what Abraham did is he said, well, I'm going to return back to Egypt. And, and it made a ton of sense in his own head because Egypt was fertile. There was more water there. So there'd be more growth. And, and so it made sense for him to return there. But that's not what God wanted him to do. And so this is what exactly when, when, when his son Isaac is in a similar position, that's his first instinct too. Well, I'm going to go back down to Egypt. But God says, no, 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 that's not how we roll. So he tells Isaac, stay there. Now, to Isaac's credit, he obeyed God and he listened. But look at what happened to him. Immediately, he starts having these similar thoughts. My wife is so beautiful. Rebecca's so beautiful that they're probably going to want to. And he starts working this whole scenario back in his head, just like his father had done. And this is the thing I want you to write down. This is so important that we jot this down. Number one in your notes, know this, old doors open easier than new doors. Ever have an old door? Just kind of, it's been on there so long, it just opens easier. It's, so, it's vastly easier to copy the familiar family flaws than, than to forge a new path ahead. It's a lot easier to just do what you've always done. Because whether or not you know it or not, you're be, you and I are being shaped. We're shaped by the patterns. We're shaped by what's being done to us, what we witnessed, what we grew up around, those family patterns. We're, we're being shaped, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether, you're not, whether you see it or not, all of these things. We have these things in our lives, these hard things that might be buried deep. And one of the reasons why we deal with those things and why we go through patterns that we have seen happen in our past before is because our God's generational. God's a generational God. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He automatically tells you, I'm a generational God. Everything that I do is going to have generational with it. I, I, I do, this is the way I work. I, you plant a seed, you, and you'll reap a harvest. And then out of that harvest, I'll, you'll plant another seed. And it's generational. This is how it goes. In fact, this goes all the way back. The generational door will go all the way back to Adam and Eve. All of us are a result of our great, 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 great grandparents' decisions. Look at this. This is what it says in Romans 12, uh, 5, chapter 5, verse 12. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. So to some degree, we are all a product of the apple not landing too far from the tree, Right? And it was Adam's apple, and that wasn't actually an apple, it was a fruit. But, but the point is, is that each one of us are a reflection of the choice that was made and then handed down to us over and over and over again. In fact, the, the impact of that choice is what we call today the curse. 
And you may be seeing certain things in your life that, that are just repeating patterns. Now, here's the good news, that just like Adam's decision to open the door and allow sin to flow through, Jesus did the same thing. He said, I'm going to utilize this same door, and whereas Adam sent sin, I'm going to send salvation. Somebody ought to get excited about that today, because God said, hey, sin can come through. If sin works that way, then salvation can too. This is what he said. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one's act of righteousness brings right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Our God's a generational God. He, he, he understands that, that the generational door allows us to, to send things forward down the line. Every dad knows this. Once the door is open, anything can come out. You know what I'm talking about, dads? Dads know what I'm talking about. Just this week, my kids, they're so generous. Oh my goodness, they're generous. They will open up the door and they will, it was 24 degrees out and they were so generous they wanted to take all of my heat and send it out <laughs> to the community. They were just working on global warming on, the, on their own thing and they were not concerned with it. They opened it up and just walked away because they didn't even care. And I, you know what I found? I found my dad coming out of me. I didn't even know he was in there. <laughs> He was buried somehow deep inside of me because I said, what are we trying to do? Heat the whole neighborhood? <laughs> and then I realized, oh my gosh, that's dad. Larry Watson Sr. is in there. And he just popped out. I, and I found myself saying this. How about guys? So I will turn this car around. <laughs> my dad used to say, I'm going to slap a hurt on you. I believe I've uttered those words before. Like, I'm, where did these come from? My dad is in there. Maybe your dad or your mom just comes out sometimes. You don't even know that they're in there, but they're in there. Why? Because our God's generational. And all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, it, we see this. But the, here, here's the good news, because just like the negative things, the things that you don't want to appear, and how they happen in your life, the good things can too. This is what Galatians says. It says, and you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. So it comes down to you. See, it, God used it, just like Adam used it to deliver our sin nature, Jesus used it to send forth salvation because he's a generational God. This is why all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, you see the geneal genealogies. You ever be reading the Bible and you're like, why are they telling me this? So-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget. This was this father of this father. Even in, even in the New Testament, in the, the Gospel of Matthew, he's talking all about this one came to this one. Came. Why? Because Jesus is trying to show you that I got it to you honest. That I, I got it to you from generations back. That I can show you I have a legal right to get what I've given you all the way to you because I send it down in the generations. This is our God who is generational. In fact, he's been telling us this from the very beginning in the book of Exodus. He said, listen, this is how this thing works. It's generational. You better be, you better be cognizant of this. In, in Exodus chapter 20, he says this, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. And then he says this, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. I want you to notice what he says. He said that, that the choices that are made go down, are handed down two, three, four generations deep. But he also says, I, I lavish love a thousand generations. What is he trying to say? He's saying, listen, choices have a ripple effect. Sin can have shock waves that send it down the generations. If you're not careful, if you're not cognizant, everything that you're doing is being sent down. Everything that's been done before you is being sent down. Maybe you're mimicking your father's anger and, your, and his temper. 
or, or, or possibly his view of pornography. Maybe you're, you're doing everything you can to, 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 to handle situations and circumstances in a certain way, but you find yourself doing it just like your mom handled conflict. And you look back at yourself and you think, man, man, I, 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 I don't know, I don't even know how I got here, but I'm doing it just like they did it. We become fulfilled, we are fulfilling the prophecies that have been put forth four generations deep. It's just a true situation. And I know what you, many of you are thinking, you're like, no, 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 you don't understand, Pastor. I, I won't, I, I will do nothing like them. In fact, I recognize my grandparents, my great-grandparents, I know my parents were like hyper jacked up. And I'm just doing everything opposite of them. Congratulations, you're becoming your grandparents because you're creating the conditions that made your parents. You see what's happening? It's like generationally, all this stuff is here. And you, it's, it's like you can't ignore it. And what, what does this mean? It means that there's a powerful gravitational pull to sin in certain patterns. That, that, that into the generations, you have the likelihood that you will probably be predisposed in this way to do these things. This is true in, in nature, biologically, in nurture, in environment, and I would add spiritually through, through, in some cases, generational strongholds that were never dealt with. Some things in your past, in your parents' past, in their grandparents' past, some things that they have done that were powerful that were never dealt with that have just been passed on. Like for my family, it was alcoholism. Throughout the generations, my dad was an alcoholic, his dad before him. Like, you can keep driving backwards, and you'll find alcoholics all throughout my family. In fact, the day that we launched this church, the very next day, I drove down to Alabama to perform the, the funeral for my brother, who had died from alcohol abuse. And he had abused his body so terribly from, from drinking alcohol. And, and, and it was very challenging. It was very hard to watch as my brother's body uh, got worse and worse as he had damaged his liver and his kidneys to the place of, uh, of just failure. And they just, they weren't coming back. And I watched that in his life. And we had some amazing conversations, especially at the end, where we talked about where, we, where he was going. And he was grateful to know Jesus. And in these last days, we, we had great, confident conversations about where he was headed. But I'll never forget, and these are my words, but essentially what, what my brother David was saying was in those last days, Tom, I wish I had dealt with this thing when I had an opportunity. When I, before, when there was a place where I could do something, I wish I had just taken a moment and dealt with this thing. You see, generational doorways, you can call them whatever you want. You can call them baggage, you can call them trauma, emotional trauma, whatever the thing that we go. For this series, we're, t we're talking about doors. And we're saying it's a doorway because essentially that's what it acts as, right? Like this door is open. And these sins that keep getting handed down to us, they just keep coming to us one after another. And they act as though they're a doorway, which is why you need to know this. Number two, you can write this down. Generational doors both send and receive. See, that's a powerful thing to know because here's the problem with a message like this. A lot of times we think, yeah, that's exactly why I'm jacked up. My dad was jacked up. Thanks, dad. Right? Or, or, or we think, oh, of course I'm going through this because my great-grandparents, they were all messed up and they just handed it to my parents and my, they, my parents just handed it to me. So, of course, I'm like that. But I'm just saying, could you pivot for a moment and just realize that you're not just uh, hearing this from a, a child's perspective, but also think about it as a parent or potential parent or, or an aunt and uncle, a, a family member that is also opening the doors. Like, who are you not just receiving, but what are you sending what is going down past the generation through you? What are you opening the door to that in 20 or 30 years, your great-grandkids are going to have to deal with? 
Deborah and I always say like this, we question ourselves and say, what are we doing today that they're going to have therapy about? You know, like we just ask ourselves that question. I think it's a healthy question to say like, are, are we doing some things that they might be in therapy over? Now, like you, you might be thinking about, imagine how challenging or difficult it must be now to, to, to think about like, I'm trying to build this family, right? I'm trying to work on this family, but I got this alimony. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about here. And, and you think like, I, I want to build it, but there's a portion of my funds, whatever I get, that are immediately gone. And that's challenging. Imagine saddling your kids with that kind of thing. It's like your hands are tied. You go swimming. Yeah, it's, it's possible, but it's challenging. It's difficult. And I'm just saying like some of you guys have, have received that and some of you might be sending it. And it's time to just say, man, I, I just made a decision. I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm going to take responsibility for this. There was a meme that was going on for a while based on the Carrie Job song that said, A Thousand Generations is the name of the song, and it said, it was right at the time that we were bailing everybody out as a government. We're giving all this money away, which is a whole lot of fun to write checks. Like, we just keep writing checks, and like, hey, it's like we're like Oprah. You get a car, and you get a car. Like, we're just giving out money, right? And the meme came out that said, who's going to pay for this? And the song, in the song, it says, and the children, and the children, and the children. And that's the thing. It's like, it's fun to write the checks, but at some point, somebody's got to pay the bill. I'm not getting political in any way, but I am saying, like, this country is trillions of dollars in debt, and we just keep sending it on to the next generation. Well, they'll deal with it. What does the next generation do? Say, well, well they'll deal with it. At some point, you've got to pay the piper. At some point, you've got to get to a place where you say, okay, it stops here. Because here's the thing I didn't tell you. With every passing generation, it actually amplifies it exaggerates. It grows. It, it, before long, as it passes to the next generation, it escalates. The prophet Hosea once said, those who sow in wind will reap the whirlwind. See, it's, it's, it becomes more and more powerful over time. Because why? Because God's a generational God. This is how he designed it to be. He's the only guy that could put an entire forest into one seed. If you take an acorn, if you were to take everything that is needed or necessary for an entire forest of oak trees is packed into one little seed. Why? Because as soon as you put it into the ground, that thing starts to grow. And then from that, more and more acorns. And over and again it goes. Because God is a generational God. We see this in Abraham and Isaac's life. One decision to, for Abraham to tell a little half lie, a little part lie, turned into a whole bold-faced lie in his son Isaac's life. Then Isaac had a son named Jacob. You know what Jacob means? It means liar. Like it went to the next generation and he was branded liar because the dude lied so much. And he had a son, he had actually several sons and 10 of them conspire together to kill their brother and then lie about it. Actually, what they do is they take a, a jacket that their brother owned and they, 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 they rip it up and they put blood on it and they, they come up with this whole devious plan. They take it back to their father and say, look, he's been killed. And then they feign like they're really sad at the funeral. Like, oh, I so messed up. But the truth of the matter is it was all a lie. And when you read that story, you think, where in the world would they come up with an idea like that to tell, like to take that jacket and lie about it? Oh, that's right. Their dad, Jacob, had a similar lie when he put on fake animal skins to convince his dad that he was his brother so he could get something that God already wanted him to have in the first place. You see, what ends up happening, if you're not careful, it's these generational things that move on. And a, a small concession today will lead into a giant thing, a foothold that the enemy can use, and it gets bigger and bigger, and the next generation gets bigger and bigger until it's something out of control, or there comes a moment where you say, you know what? No, it stops here. Yeah. 
See, that's the good news this morning. I want you to write this down because this is the best news I could give you. Just a little bit of hope. Number three, no matter what you're handed, you have a choice. It doesn't matter what you're handed. You get to decide what you're going to pass on. You get to make that decision. I think it's, there's a value to looking at and analyzing why is it that I'm like this? Why do I feel this way? Therapy, I think, is amazing. Counseling is in, in, incredible. I think everybody should be going to counseling. I think the enemy tries to make counseling look like it's, you're somehow damaged or messed up in some way. And you, Counseling is, the Bible says with, there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of counseling. You should do lots of therapy and counseling. And in counseling, you'll unpack these things and say, okay, why is it that I'm like this? Why am I dealing with these things? Well, here's the reason. But I, I think there's a danger in that we won't call sin, sin. Because it's been handed to us and we just say, oh, well, this is, of course, this is, is how I am because it's just been handed to me this way. I don't have any choice. And I'm just saying, you don't have to end up that way. You got a decision that you can say, hey, this is my, might have been what I've been given, but it's my responsibility on whether or not I'm going to send it on. See, you, you got two options. You can either become a victim or a victor. Yeah. The victim says, well, I have no choice in this. Like, I am powerless. I, I just have to be this way because that's the way it was done to me, and this is where I am. The problem is victims never change the world. Victims never have peace. Victims never walk through this life saying, man, I've got something incredible that God wants to do for me because they're too busy, stuck being a victim. But a victor, a victor says, man, no matter what's been handed to me, it's my choice. Yes, it was bad. Yes, it was terrible. Yes, I shouldn't have gotten, had to get this. Yes, I shouldn't have had to go through these things. But I've decided that I'm going to take responsibility for what I've got and what's been handed to me. I get to choose to take the hard things, the bad things, the terrible things that have happened to me and make a decision of what I'm going to do with it. Here's some good news. The whole idea of what my dad did and what my grandpa did and what my great aunt Sally did, all of those things, they don't have to become automatic in the name of Jesus. See, he said that the generational door works this way. For three or four generations, when this is open and this is sent, three or four generations, I'll send these sins down. But it's almost as if God says, but, but I'm going to put a limit to that. I've assigned a limit. It can only go no farther than four generations. He said, I'm not going to let it go any further because because I recognize that it could be damaging and it could get out of control. It's like a snowball. It could just keep going down, destroying as it goes. I'm going to limit it. I'm only going to allow it to go three or four generations. But did you see what he said about his love? He said, verse 6 says, I want to show you love for a thousand generations. He said, I'll let that stop at four or five, but my love is allowed to go down a thousand generations. My mercy is there. So it doesn't matter what you've been given. It doesn't matter what you've been handed. You've got a God that says, my mercy is going to find you. My passion is going to find you. My love is going to find you. I'll fix you. I'll adopt you. I'll give you gifts. I'll let you become something greater than you ever thought. That's what our God says. I'll only allow the sin to go so far. But you have to make the decision to take that mercy and take that love and walk into it three or four generations deep, Abraham's sin led to Isaac's lie, which brought about Jacob's deception, which took 10 of his brothers and sisters, brothers conspiring against him. And, and then it got down to Joseph. And Joseph's actually the fourth generation. Now by rights, Joseph should have been, been able to take what had been given to him, what had been done to him, the evil that had been done. They sold him into slavery. And by rights, Joseph should have done what anybody else would do. Man, it's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You give this to me, I'm going to do that to you. And he should have done that. But he made a decision 
that instead of, of handling the door the way that it had been handled before him over and over and over again, he decided, I'm going to make a decision to go a different route. It's almost as if Joseph walked behind this door and he, he, he stuck his head out and said, you know what? I think I'm just going to go a different way. I think that's what God wants to tell you today. Like, you don't have to keep going down those same generational patterns over and over again. Why? Because they did it before you? Well, you, you don't have to do that. What they did was wrong. Maybe you've been handed hate or racism or anger or alcoholism or, or drug abuse or, 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 or any number of things, and it's been handed to you. You don't have to keep walking in that. I love what Joseph did because he looked at his, at his brothers who had put him in that place. And he changed the, the whole script. Here's what he said in verse 20 of Genesis 50. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What does he say? He's saying, guess what? My God's got a bigger plan for me. My, my God is bigger than the, the lies and the, the anger and the stuff that I've been handed. We still talk about the spirit of Joseph to this day. As somebody that decided, man, I'm not going to keep walking into that. Instead, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to handle this door in a certain way. I'm going to open it up for the blessings of God to pour out generate a thousand generations. You get to be that. You don't have to be the angry one. You don't have to be the broken one. You don't have to be the divorced one. You don't have to be the one that has go always gone through this. I always will. My dad did. My, my dad's dad did. We just always, you don't have to do that. Joseph, we say, is a type and shadow of Jesus. Christophany. What does that mean? It means that he was just, he shows us a picture of who Jesus is before Jesus even showed up on the scene. Because Jesus, because Joseph decided, I'm going to let my wounds heal. That's exactly what Jesus did. After he died for your sins, lived a perfect life, if anybody had the right to, to lash out at somebody, it was Jesus. He didn't have, he, he didn't do any wrong, and yet he died for you. And then when he came off of the cross, and he was resurrected. I used to wonder, like, why did he do this? He appeared to his disciples, and he still had the wounds. That bugged me for a while. Like, why, why Jesus? Like, your resurrected body. Why do you still have the wounds? And that's what he did. He came to the disciples and said, look at the wounds in my hand. Look at the wounds in my side. Is it not me? You know what he was doing? He was showing them that, yes, the wounds got me here. But they weren't bloody, dripping wounds. They were healed wounds. He doesn't ignore them. He says, look. This is what it took to get me here. And to the extent that you allow your wounds to be healed by God is the extent that he will be able to use you to heal other generations. That's what our God wants to do. God wants to heal others through you. And he can begin that healing work today.